Hello, bonjour, ni hao, and salut. Welcome back to the Impact Around the World podcast. I'm Cassandra Pittman, edX Country Manager for the UK and Ireland, and host of the show. Joining me this week, all the way from Singapore, is Damien Delem, Senior Vice President of Commercial and Digital Services at the Fortune 500 Energy Solutions Company, Schneider Electric. An EDEC MBA graduate from 1995, Damien leads Schneider's energy efforts to help customers make the most of their energy. Fun fact, Damien is helping me and my husband get EV chargers for our electric car all the way here in London. The value of a global network in action. I can't wait for you to hear more from Damien himself. I feel like the only way to start these conversations in this day and age is how are you? How's your family? How's your community? Yeah, indeed. That's uh, definitely the right way to start. Uh, have, you, yeah. have you been able to keep safe uh, during these very uh, interesting times? So everything is fine on my side. Singapore is a small island and we've been uh, pretty well protected say, from, from what's happening in the rest of the world. That's good. So I am guessing from the accent that I'm hearing that you are not from Singapore. Tell us about your journey, how you ended up there. I graduated from, from EDEC, uh, the MBA. From EDEC in uh, 1995. Actually, um, I'm first of all an engineer by by, by training, I would say, or by education. Um, and after I graduated from ISEN, Institut Supérieur d'Electronique du Nord, which is kind of a neighbor neighbor to the EDEC Business School uh, in France uh, in Lille, uh, I did work for a couple of months uh, in an R&D uh, job, but I hated it. And there was a lot of around software programming, etc. So I got scared that I was going to end up, you know, doing this kind of a of thing for the rest of my life. And I felt like I, I was going to miss uh, the, 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 the people interaction and the commercial side, you know, of a, of a career. So I very quickly decided to go back and do an MBA right away. So um, did that, uh, graduated from Medec uh, MBA in 1995. So more than a quarter of a century ago. Oh my gosh, we're all so old. We're all so old, Damien. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I got a, so from there, I got a job with, uh, with Schneider Electric. Um, so I stayed with Schneider all along, uh, and they hired me as a as a technical commercial guy. Actually, that's why they hired me, uh, which was definitely what I wanted to do. Right, mix my engineering background and uh, my very recent uh, MBA and degree. Uh, but big corporate organizations sometimes they hire you to do something. And actually, I was supposed to be based in UK as well, which was part of the deal. Uh, mm. So uh, a technical commercial job based out of UK, which was really ticking the boxes of what I wanted to do because I wanted to work outside of France. Uh, but the big organization, the restructure, they changed focus. So what happened is uh, basically they told me, hey, uh, the job is not anymore there in UK, but we hired you already. So we got something for you in Thailand, Southeast Asia, uh, and it's going to be in a factory. So it's not going to be any more technical commercial. It's going to be in, in, a, in one of our factories that we're just starting as an industrial engineer. So it sounded like, you know, Thailand sounded like a, an exotic destination. Um, back then. And uh, yeah, and I said, why not? I mean, industrial manufacturing environment, I knew nothing about it as well. So uh, I, I decided to give it a shot. And that's how I spent the 20 of my 25 years with Nitric in the manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, procurement environment. Uh, mm. I did work in Thailand, back in France to eventually become a plant manager then moved to China because I really wanted to go back to Asia. So spent five years in China, then moved to India, spent four years in, uh, in, in India and eventually landed in Singapore in 2013. So eight years ago. 
when you first moved to Thailand, were you, did you have a family? Were you single? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was single by then. And, you know, I was kind of, it was under the VIE type of program, you know, that we have in, uh, in France which mm-hmm. uh, kind of is a partnership between government and, uh, and companies. But very, uh, there was part of the deal, uh, I would say, a commitment to, to, to switch to a full-time employees right away, and then a commitment to stay longer in Thailand. So the VI is like 15 months, but I had right away a two- to three-year contract in Thailand, okay. which is what I wanted. And your role now has something to do with um, ensuring that people make the most of their energy. Right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so so actually that's what we say as a company in Schneidrick. We help our customers and make the most of their, of their energy. Uh, and as I told you, uh, in terms of career, I spent uh, uh, the past four years uh, running commercial operation, also selling the full uh, Schneidrick portfolio and being really the, the, the ambassador and representative of the company uh, for, for, for the three countries. But then I just moved a couple of months ago uh, to, to, uh, to a global role again as the, uh, the head of commercial for our digital energy division, uh, which is really at, 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 at the forefront of the uh, digital transformation of the electrical distribution, uh, which is what we do as a company mainly. And I'm also responsible globally for our digital services activity, which is very, uh, say, of course, very innovative, a lot of innovation and very much on, uh, on combining the, uh, uh, the IT and OT together and to propose and sell to our customer IoT solutions. So definitely okay. we can uh, we can talk more about what it means. Yeah, yeah, I would love to talk about that. And I'm as as you're overseeing, you know, in this global role, use of digital energy. I can't not ask you this question. So for our listeners, we're recording this in the middle of May, and just yesterday, Elon Musk said that um, Tesla will no longer accept Bitcoin as payment because of how much energy Bitcoin takes to mine. Um, do you have some thoughts on? Um, on energy as it relates to cryptocurrency? You know, we live in a world, of course, which is more and more digital. And behind digital, you have data. And behind data, you need data centers, right? Uh, and, and data centers are big energy monsters. Uh, they consume a lot of energies because you have a lot of cooling. Uh, and that's a, that's a very strategic segment, a business segment for us. We, we work uh, very closely with all the web giants uh, as a key customer, key partner for us. And today, of course, their business is booming, uh, definitely, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, uh, digital world. But they have a, a big challenge to face on the sustainability side, right? So we're also helping them a lot on their energy transition. Uh, so as, as an advisor on how they can be more efficient, right, to reduce the energy consumption on one side. Uh, and then on the other side, for whatever the energy they still consume, how they can move to renewables, how they can move to green sources of energy. And it is very, very true that uh, this industry specifically has, has a challenge to tackle there. But the good news, and to be, uh, to be an optimistic, I'm an optimistic, they are clearly on top of it. Uh, you see more and more beyond the countries and uh, all these uh, data center web giant players making strong commitment uh, in the field of, uh, of real sustainability. And, uh, and that's part of our business to, to help them in their, in their transition, in their journey. Mm. So what are the renewable sources of energy that can produce enough energy to meet our digital demands? Yeah, so... so um, after definitely, uh, of course, uh, wind turbines, uh, if you live in windy areas, in my part of the world, uh, which is Southeast Asia, we definitely have a lot of sun. So there's still a lot of untapped, you know, uh, opportunities through solar generation. Now let's, uh, what we tell customers, well, and, and, and we apply it to ourselves in our factories, in our own facilities, let's always be careful that you also, we can all be more efficient, you know, and, and the way we position the, uh, uh, the, the sustainability transition for our customers uh, is to say, you need, you can be 50% more efficient, 
right? And you have to really work towards this direction uh, through investment, uh, through uh, what we call CAPEX, right? Investment capital expenditure, mm-hmm. but also, also through the OPEX, uh, the operational side. So you can be 50% more efficient. And then the remaining 50%, then the business case will fly as well when it comes to switching to renewables. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, you clearly see uh, countries making, which is good news, uh, eventually uh, making really strong commitment about f- being fully carbon neutral by 2050. We made ourselves the commitment to be as a company uh, by 2025. And we are already carbon neutral for operation in Singapore. Now we're working on the, on the scope three with our supply chain and suppliers embedded to really get it also carbon neutral by 2030, which is a challenge, but we're going to get there. So it's feasible. The good news is the technology exists today. And the technology is also more and more affordable, right? Mm. Uh, so to me, uh, again, I'm an optimistic there. But uh, and we clearly see that uh, the train has left the station. I mean, right? Every day there are there's a lot of money being flushed into uh, more sustainability investment, more renewables, etc. So very mm. promising on this front. And by the way, a very good uh, uh, area for for employment and the future of the edec. Uh, graduates. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you've seen um, the our 2025 strategy and we're putting sustainability in all of its pillars at the core of what we do. And particularly, I think, investing quite a lot of um, our resources, financial and otherwise, in um, sustainable finance um, to leverage the strength we already have in finance. And um, I'm really excited to see what comes of that, not just with edX. I think you you see this a little bit with top tier business schools globally. Um, I have a theory that post the financial crisis, there there was a little bit of an identity crisis for a lot of business schools that said, what are we really here to do in the world? And we're seeing, I think, more and more say, we really want to make a mark in, in having a positive contribution to everything that matters, not just wealth creation. So um, I think that's that's pretty exciting. As, uh, definitely, uh, we have uh, also ourselves, like many companies we do, uh, we have a foundation, we have also what we call innovation uh, at the edge, which is uh, really uh, uh, developing uh, venture capital, investment in startups, etc. So we do it a lot uh, with a program which we call access to energy, which is creating you know, uh, access to energy in, in part of the world where there's no access to electricity. Uh, you still have countries where there's no, you know, uh, something sometimes we forget uh, because we take it for granted. Mm, uh, there are, yeah. are parts in the world where you don't have uh, electricity uh, 24-7 or maybe sometimes even, uh, you know, um, uh, even uh, more than, than a couple of hours per day. Uh, so access to energy and then when we do this access to energy because they love remote places, it has to be from renewables. And then when you do that, you also can create employment and jobs and opportunities. So you're right, you're right. Mm. Um, I, I believe that a fair amount of, uh, of this transformation and innovation can come from uh, in a green and sustainable way. You mentioned, and we, we see this in data that we've actually um, explored as well in our new Gen Talent Center, but you've, you've mentioned that for the generation of students who is graduating now, having a, a positive impact or a purpose behind the hours they spend at work is yeah. really central and motivating to them. Um, and conversely, if, you know, again, the data bears out, if they cannot link it to a purpose, they're very, very likely to be demotivated very quickly and move on from their roles very quickly. Has working for an organization with sustainability at its core helped you stay motivated, helped you stay loyal to, to the company you've worked for? Oh, for sure. I mean, definitely, um, personally and collectively, uh, for sure. Uh, that really has really uh, allowed us in terms of uh, marketability or attractiveness also on the market uh, for, for fresh graduates, etc. has definitely uh, has made an impact. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for sure. 
for sure. And to me, uh, I think companies have, have realized that, right? Uh, so, uh, and it's going to become more and more complicated for those who are not matching the expectation of the of the best students, I would say, to recruit mm. in the market and to attract the best talents. But then after you have to retain them, so you need to ensure that, of course, you provide them the right uh, working environment uh, for them to, to fulfill their, I would say, their, their vision or, or their purpose. Mm. And do you have any advice for, I mean, this, is a bit, this has been a tough year for obviously students to graduate over the last 12 months. Um, hopefully we're going to see a, a V-shaped recovery and we're already starting to see some, some signs of that. But particularly for our students or, or actually any young graduate who, who does want a career with purpose, who might want to, uh, might not have an engineering background, for example, but might want to have a positive impact in the field of sustainability. Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, so, um, well, actually, that's, that's a, a sector that is booming, right? So there's a lot of business opportunities. I think, you, to me, you have really, a, and you, you have internship, you have opportunity, right, to kind of break your studies and take a break and, and work for a couple of months. There is, of course, also a lot of startups in this area and domain. So for me, uh, uh, being curious and really, uh, uh, I would say, creating the opportunities uh, uh, rather than to be passive, uh, which, which has always been true, but more than ever, it's very important. Uh, as I said, I was with your students here, and it's interesting. Uh, 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 at the end of the, we had one hour sharing session together. You know, five or six of them made sure they stay with me, and we discuss on the side. Then a few of them followed up later on. I mean, you clearly see that the, the ones that do that, of course, when the time comes and they and they look for internship or they look for recommendation, of course, uh, they will um, they will have better chances than the others. So to me, mm. to be curious and to seize uh, any opportunity you have to create a network, to engage, uh, don't miss it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. We do, um, at edX, we do something called treks, like career treks, where we take groups of students. I mean, obviously, we have not in the last year and a bit, but normally we take groups of students to London, to Dublin, to um, Switzerland, to meet with companies. And I recall when I was that age and I was just thinking, I just need a job, right? And so the question is like, are they going to hire me from this? And we're always sending the message, no, this is not a recruitment event, but you're going to meet a bunch of people in this company, right? And that can only ever help you, um, even if, or just even in the ecosystem, right? It, maybe not even in that company, but but in the market and in that region. So um, it's thinking long-term, definitely. We, um, if I can share another example, we have a created, um, it's more than, more than 10, 15 years ago, competition, which is Go Green to the City. It's for university students. So it's a, so two students together uh, to, to come up with a, a green uh, sustainability innovation ideas recommendation. That's a global program with, uh, I think we have five or 600 universities participating every year, like 13,000 students. And, and then mm. there's country level jury, and then you have regional, and then you have the global jury. And what we've realized is we end up uh, uh, recruiting 50% uh, of these students you know, for internship. And then out of the uh, of the 50% that join uh, for internship, normally almost 50% of them stay on board at the end of their internship. So to me, beyond Chennai trick, I would say, you know, uh, that's kind of a traditional way still, uh, internship, et cetera. But again, uh, making sure you, you, you get the maximum chances to engage and, as you say, to take every opportunity to create a network so that the, mm. when the day comes, uh, it makes a difference uh, to me. Uh, very important. And being curious, I really, but but on this one, I think the, the the new generation is more curious than we were. I feel personally, they are really? also more careful. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I always, you know, it's funny. We 
have a we're, we're, we sponsor this group with the French Chamber of Commerce, um, which is a an HR forum. So heads of HR for lots of different companies, usually mostly French, but not not all French operating in the UK. And sometimes when it gets to managing Gen Z. There's a lot of, oh, you know, the expectations are so high and uh, it's so hard to keep them motivated and they want change and they want everything and they want it all now. And I think, yeah, oh, but we expect so much from them, right? I mean, this is a, an incredibly mature, engaged generation and we, we expect them to like have started a startup on the side and been involved in five different clubs and have gotten the best grades yeah. and gone to the best school and, um, and, I definitely didn't feel that I had that much pressure at that age to be doing so many different things, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it's true. But on the other end, maybe at our age, there was a lot of focus still on grades, right? As the yeah. criteria, when today it's not at all anymore. I mean, uh, yeah, and to me, it's true. not about, uh, and of course, we want everything. But I think if you have something that, that really makes you, uh, at least for us on, on the Shire side, if you have something that makes you a little bit different, if you s s uh, show as well from the, uh, again, the engagement, the curiosity, uh, uh, the interest that you're, you're different, I think you, you stand, uh, you know, higher chances than if you have the best grade in the, in, in the full team, personally. So mm. this has changed a little. And that's a good change, by the way. Yeah, I think it's a good change too. I think it's a good change too. I mean, we could have a whole other interview about how education is changing um, and how rapidly now, I mean, it was already changing. And I think the pandemic has, has made that change even more rapid. Um, and we have to think about different ways of learning and different ways of evaluating knowledge as well than the rote kind of exams um, that we're also used to. What is the most, well, maybe the most is, is not the best way to put it. Is there an area of innovation when it comes to sustainability um, and particularly, you know, managing energy and digital resources that you are particularly excited about? Yes. So the, the way we see um, innovation in, uh, in this field for, for us uh, is we have what we call uh, innovation at the core, you know, which is kind of more the traditional R&D that you have for the existing products. And then we have uh, what we call innovation at the edge, which is about partnership with startups, uh, new ventures, new go-to-market, new technologies, etc. And that's uh, the, the, the part I'm the most excited about. Uh, so I spent a, a, I spend a fair amount of time uh, as a sponsor of several joint ventures, startups that we've created, in, uh, some with universities, some with partners, customers of different companies from different industries. And to me, that's, that's always very exciting. And, and um, let's be careful that innovation is not just uh, as a, we're a technology company, huh? but even for us, we, we learned that it's not just about the new products, new technology, it can be also into the new go-to market and the new business model, et cetera. Uh, mm. And there's still a lot of opportunities there. So that's mm. the part that really uh, these days is, is I spend a fair amount of time on new uh, on, on new business models innovation for our uh, our organization. Can you give us an example, or is it all is it all secret? No, no. But there, there's the one which is uh, even in our industry or in our domain, which is around uh, energy management. You know, and it starts with the the, the, the basic uh, switch and socket you have in your home. I'm sure you have in the room around you huh? the switch and the socket to turn the light on or or to plug whatever device, and then you have the circuit breaker and the electrical distribution. So, so we have a traditional way to sell products and we sell software, etc., uh, through uh, through traditional partners, and we sell them as a as a capex. But what about an opex model as a service model, right, for your electrical distribution network? I'm going to mm. tell you, hey, don't worry, you will always have a power on, don't worry. You will also have the optimized uh, electrical distribution network with the right, uh, I would say, 
value or, or for money uh, type of environment. So mm. you don't need to bother about spending anything as, as, as a capex it will become so. We have a lot of initiative or whatever as a service model, even in our traditional industry, uh, which to me is very, uh, very exciting. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's interesting on a personal level to me. I appreciate you probably looking at grander scales than than my house, but we we are desperately trying to get the resources out here to um, to get an electric car um, plug. Um, because we are in like the, you know, a, a 200 year old house here. You couldn't possibly plug it into this electrical network in the house. So we have okay. to get the grid to come out and build us something. Yeah. And it's taking months. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, the, 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 and you're right, huh, by the way, the, the biggest roadblock uh, to electrical vehicle, you know, penetration in many countries in the world is not the EV charging, it's not the vehicle, it's the infrastructure. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, uh, everybody in the morning leaves home between 7.30 to 9 a.m., right? Everybody comes home between 5 and 7 p.m. And guess what? When you come home with your EV car, you plug it in, right? At home. That's right. Imagine yeah. the whole neighborhood the, the, doing the same thing at the same time. What does it mm-hmm. mean for the grid? Right, for the electrical grid. So that's a big challenge uh, for the electrical utility in terms of transformation and even revolution, knowing mm-hmm. that in parallel, these people in the past were very much relying on, a, if it's, a, if it's a, I would say, either a coal or traditional power plant, you know, which you turn on your power plant or your nuclear plant, and it's very stable. But nowadays, mm-hmm. they get a fair amount of, which is good, huh, of, the, of the supply from renewables. And the wind is changing. The sun, right, you've got clouds in the sky. So these people, they have a tremendous challenge moving forward. On one side, the generation, you know, is very unstable. And on the other side, the consumption is going to be also very unstable with bigger peaks than what they used to have. So, uh, and that's uh, the type of challenges and problems we like to solve, by the way, with, with our customer, thanks to our technology. So very exciting challenges. Yeah. So I'm like... I, I know it's not really there yet, but when we had all of these problems with getting, not problems, but delays with getting you know, people from the grid to come out and look about how they could, how they could um, install this for us. Um, I was thinking, why can't we just have our own electricity supply for our car? Like, why can't we just cover our roofs in, <laughs> in, you know, solar panels? I mean, I'm, we're in England, so we don't get loads of sun, but, um, you know, <laughs> uh, or whatever it might be. And, uh, I think, you know, the answer I got was, look, they're just not, you just can't generate enough electricity from that yet. And then that got me thinking, well, will we get to a place where we can just have a car, which is covered in solar panels and it actually charges itself? Yeah, and, and, and the roads as well, by the way, and the roads and, and the roads. technology, uh, which can be covered with solar panels. Now, the answer, what you just said, is not completely true, because if you look in Australia, you know, the penetration and the domestic penetration of solar panels is, is, is amazing. And then mm. after, you might alone not be producing enough for yourself, but in, with your neighborhood, you, if you join forces in your neighborhood and your neighbors, everyone has different profile, you know, in terms of a, a household, a, I mean, way of living, etc. Mm. Uh, and to me, this is why beyond that, uh, we also see the explosion of microgrids concept. You know, we've also the fact that you can have also more and more uh, affordable, you know, competitive uh, energy storage solutions, right? So that you can also store the energy you produce and consume it when the time where you really need it. Okay? Mm. Because daytime you're not there. You can you can you know you can produce energy, but you're not going to use real time. So, what about storing this energy, or maybe sharing it with your neighbor who is at home and he needs it, so that when you come back, 
you can use also part of the energy that your neighbor has, uh, doesn't need. So to me, that's uh, again, and that's that's existing already. And, and some countries are, uh, and Australia to me is a good example, are moving very, very fast. Damien, this is fascinating. I could talk to you forever about this, um, but I want to be respectful of your time. And thank you so much for um, for joining us all the way from Singapore. I know that the timings make it difficult with the, with the time changes and everything between us, but I really my, appreciate your time. My pleasure, Cassandra. Right now, I hope we meet, meet soon at EDEC or elsewhere. Actually, anywhere EDEC is in the world, right? Impact Around the World is an initiative of the pioneering EDEC delegations team and EDEC alumni. A huge thank you to my fellow country managers, Patricia in California, Sisi in China, Nilesh in India, and Joyce in Singapore for making these interviews happen. We are committed to building a community beyond the classroom for you, our 46,000 alumni in over 125 different countries. Follow us on Twitter at, at edecalumni or visit the alumni website at alumni.edec.edu to find out more about how you can connect with the edec community close to you and around the world. Thanks for listening.